Hi, and welcome to this week's episode of Seen and Heard, industry updates for the modern dairy family. I'm Alyssa Lima, your North Coast and Organic Field Services representative, bringing you Season 3, Episode 24. This week, we sit down with the Morningstar Tomato Group's Giovanni Cavalletto and WUD member Sean Kelly of the Stevenson Ranch to discuss how adding tomatoes to a dairy's crop portfolio could be a strategy to employ during these uncertain times. We're so thankful that they joined us today. And in addition, we also have Kathleen Wolfley of Blooming and Associates EverAg helping us out with a market update this week. We hope you enjoy this week's episode. We'll jump right in with Kathleen. Pacific Gas and Electric is here to remind you that signs keep you safe. Sections of our natural gas transmission pipeline travel underground and beneath agricultural land. For the safety of you, your family, and your employees, pipeline markers are placed to indicate the approximate location of the pipe as a reminder to use extra care. Removing a pipeline marker creates a serious safety hazard. To have additional markers placed or report damaged or missing markers, please call your PG&E account manager or our Agricultural Customer Service Center at 877-311-3276. To learn more, visit www.pge.com agsafety. Remember, signs keep you safe. Hi, this is Kathleen Wolfley from Blumling & Associates, filling in for Tiffany Lamondola. I hope you've been wearing your seatbelts because it was another wild one in the dairy markets this week. CME cheese prices pulled back sharply midweek, dropping below the 220 mark for the first time since March. Blocks alone dropped all the way to $2.08 before jumping up to finish the week at $2.15. That's down 11 cents from last week. The barrel market finished the week at $2.16, down from $2.24 per pound the week before. So what's going on in the cheese market? Reports do point to plentiful milk supplies finding their way into cheese plants, especially now that schools are closed across most of the country. And on the demand side of things, we did see strong promotional activity at retail over the course of the last couple weeks, but scanner data still showing Uh, that sales in the grocery sector are lagging from year prior levels. Census Bureau published their May retail sales data this week, and it showed that consumers may be starting to pull back in how much they're spending at the grocery store. The May figures did show overall grocery purchases up 9% year over year, but that was below the pace of food at home inflation of plus 12%. Restaurant sales, meanwhile, in May did stay positive, up 8% year-over-year on an inflation-adjusted basis. Second half class revalues finished the week on a downbeat at $23.60 per hundredweight. That was a $0.72 decline from last Friday. On the class 4 side of the fence, second half class 4 values closed Friday at $24.65 per hundredweight. That was down from $25.49 last week. The spot butter market cooled some this week. Prices closed at $2.94. That was about $0.04 lower than last week. We'll get a fresh read on the butter inventory situation in next week's USDA cold storage report that comes out on Thursday. As it relates to demand, reports still do point to soft overall demand for butter. Spot non-fat dry milk prices pulled back this week, finishing Friday at $1.80 per pound. That was down almost $0.06 from the Friday before. 
With more milk available and more powder seemingly looking for a home, I think that just generally there's less anxiety around supply. At the same time, reports suggest that Mexico demand remains quiet. Plus, there's also some talk that there's increased international competition into places like Southeast Asia. A couple things to look out for in the week ahead. So that's the week of June 20th. There's a global dairy trade event on Tuesday. There's also a USDA milk production report on Tuesday. And on Thursday, we'll see USDA publish their monthly cold storage report. That's it for this week. Have a great weekend. Yosemite Farm Credit is the farmer's choice for agriculture financing. As a farmer-owned cooperative, we are dedicated to serving our neighbors in the agriculture community with financial products and services tailored to your operation and backed with a relationship you can trust. Whether you're purchasing real estate, making improvements to the dairy, or wanting to purchase or lease equipment, we're here to help our members prosper. Visit our website at YosemiteFarmCredit.com to find a branch location nearest you. This morning, we're really excited to have Giovanni Cavalletto, in, who's in agriculture supply chain at Morningstar Tomatoes, and Sean Kelly of the Stevenson Ranch, uh, ranch manager over there at Stevenson Ranch, join us this morning to talk a little bit of non-dairy ag business today. We're going to talk tomatoes. So Giovanni, I'm going to ask you to go ahead and, and first, of, first of all, welcome, and I'm going to ask you to go ahead and tell us a little bit about Morningstar and some plans that you guys have. Well, thank you very much, Melissa, and uh, thank you for this opportunity. Um, so I'm in, I'm, I'm involved with the agricultural supply chain at Morningstar Packing. Uh, we run three factories, two in the Los Banos area, and one in Williams in the Sacramento Valley that and process about 40% of the uh, California processing tomato um, crop. Uh, and in turn, California represents about 35 to 40% of the world's processing tomato crop. So California is really, really strategic worldwide in terms of when it comes to ketchup supply, pasta sauce, um, pizza sauce, and diced tomatoes that for, for all ingredients. Um, we process um, about 90,000 acres in any given year of uh, processing tomatoes, and we're looking for upwards of 100,000 as, <coughs> as a demand uh, demands worldwide. And right now, you know, between the drought in California, there's also a drought uh, going on in both Spain and in Chile. Um, that are impacting global supply, uh, not to mention the current war in Ukraine, uh, who's also uh, an important processing tomato grower. So we're looking at ways that we can increase our processing to make tomato acreage uh, in the 10% range. Uh, yields are about 50 tons per acre. So it's a very, very high yielding crop. Um, in, in turn, you know, if you compare it to a, a nut crop, it's, you know, incredibly high if you, or, but if you even 
compare it to uh, a fruit crop or a, or a normal vegetable crop, it's, it's an incredibly high yielding uh, product. Uh, as I said, I'm, I work with in the ag supply chain at Morningstar, we're vertically integrated in many ways. We run our own nursery in Tracy called Master Plant, which has uh, about, produces about 300 million seedlings uh, per year. We have a custom farming uh, operation and we also do uh, joint ventures with growers that are looking for partners to learn the tomato business with. We do our own transplanting and harvesting and trucking. Um, as we look at the evolution of agriculture in California and in the Central Valley in particular, that's where we're currently doing an outreach uh, within the kind of looking for growers of thirstier crops, which historically have been less valuable than tomatoes, right. recognizing that this year's a bit of an anomaly that everything's um, pretty expensive, whether it's corn silage, wheat silage, alfalfa, um, Etc. But we're kind of with the current drought in California, we're trying to target growers of thirstier crops and, and sitting down and doing an economic analysis, both in terms of dollars per acre as well as dollars per acre foot of water used. Right. Um, so we've got, you know, of course, you've got um, agriculture intensifying. We used to have, which is natural, we used to grow processing tomatoes in Orange County and in Ventura County, where there hasn't, you know, not much farming left in Orange County, not much, there hasn't been a processed tomato grown in Ventura County for 25 years. Um, I, I grew up in the Santa Maria area where we used to have sugar beets and, and dairies uh, back in the 70s. And there haven't been, there hasn't been a sugar beet planted or a cow milked in Santa Maria for probably close to 25 years. So there's a natural evolution. And with Sigma, with the drought, with the doubling of nut acreage over the last 10 years in California, it's nearly 2 million acres. We're just trying to look at uh, ways that we can work with growers to maximize the bottom line and working with dairies to see if growing a cash crop and diversifying away from the traditional model of using your valuable property and valuable water exclusively to grow feed for the cows, you know, is there a more uh, lucrative model out there? Absolutely. And that's kind of where Sean and the folks over at Stevenson Ranch come in. So Sean, I'll bring you in. You're um, a longtime dairyman, a diversified farming operation. Tell us a little bit about your ranch and sort of how this leads into the tomato business. Yeah, thanks, Melissa. Uh, appreciate uh, the invite to be on here with you guys. Um, so yeah, I work for a uh, family business, uh, James J. Stevenson Corporation. Uh, we started back in the 1850s, our ancestor, uh, James J. Stevenson, came and uh, settled in California, came over during the gold rush and um, started a uh, beef. And then uh, over the years, we've just diversified that operation to include dairying. Um, we still have the original cattle operation that he started, um, but 
we farm a lot more now, farm corn and alfalfa, farm, uh, you know, just our winter crop, uh, diversified into almonds. And um, more recently, we've gotten into some more uh, cash crops like uh, tomatoes, um, which is kind of how we ended up here today. It sounds like 2022 is sort of a first in the tomato world for you guys. Um, so can you just tell us a little bit about what first intrigued you about adding tomatoes to the portfolio at Stevenson Ranch? Uh, yeah, so this is uh, the first year we've grown tomatoes. Um, I've heard in probably the last 40 or 50 years, the family used to a, a long time ago, okay. but um, we kind of got away from it. Um, we were just at a point where we decided, you know, it's we got to try new things and figure out how to expand the business as the family continues to, continue to expand. Um, and we're kind of just looking at our, our core competencies and say, okay, what else, what else can we do? And, you know, farming's on that list and, okay, can we put our ground to better use by growing different crops? And um, we had heard about tomatoes and tomato market is, uh, supposed to be good for the next couple of years. So we said, you know, why don't we give this a shot and kind of see what happens? Um, you know, there was a lot of things that made us nervous about tomatoes. Um, but ultimately, you know, we said, let's, um, let's jump in and see what happens. Are you aware, Sean, of any other dairies in your neighborhood um, who have made the step toward expanding beyond that traditional feed growing you know, water heavy crop model to a cash crop like tomatoes? Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's happening out here for sure. Um, you know, it's, you definitely have to be set up to do it. Um, you gotta have enough ground to do it. Um, especially a year like this, you know, this year's kind of an anomaly because, uh, like Giovanni was saying, everything is so high priced right now that Maybe this isn't the best year to be doing it, to be growing tomatoes and then having to grow, go out and, and buy feed at historically high prices. But definitely, I think when, um, you know, milk is no longer $26, a hundred weight prices are, prices are going to slow down on everything and probably return back to somewhat of a, a normal level. And, um, you know, I, I do know that this will probably become even more popular than it is right now. And um, we do have a couple neighbors who are, who are trying the same model. They're, they're putting tomatoes in and um, they're going out and buying some of their, their feed needs. And this certainly isn't a all or nothing um, scheme. There's a lot of ways to do this and you can do small parcels at once and jump in with bigger parcels later if it turns out to be successful. I know you and I've talked previously and you really ran the numbers and worked the um, spreadsheets to make sure this was something that would work for you. After doing all that research, did you still have some apprehensions about trying a new crop like tomatoes and what helped you to overcome that? Yeah, um, it's, it's obviously not an all or nothing proposition. You know, you could dip your toe in the water. There is certain thresholds that you probably have to meet just from an infrastructure standpoint, I mean, you don't want to be putting in a pump or a filter station for five acres of tomatoes. Right. Um, but um, as as long as you start meeting some some certain minimums, it it the numbers work out. Um, 
And the way that we looked at it is, yeah, we're going to put some infrastructure in. And if we don't know what we're doing and completely stub our toe, um, you know, we set it up so we could still grow corn or alfalfa on that drip system. Um, awesome. So, hey, worst comes to worst. Okay, let's let's jump back in and know what we do, what we know how to. Um, so that was kind of one of the approaches that we took. We tried to, um, it's subsurface drip, uh, the, the drip tape we put in at 12 inches and we did it on uh, 80 inch beds. So the spacing of the tape, we could come in and add another line of tape in between each existing row and uh, grow corner alfalfa on 40 inch centers. So um, kind of left ourselves a couple uh, outs in case we don't know what we're doing. So bottom line is there's some flexibility built into this, no matter how you look at yeah. it. And, and it could be really adaptable to a lot of different operations if people are really committed to kind of doing a little learning and putting a little money up in front of the, the prospect. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you're not, you're not locked in. It's not like going out and planting an almond orchard or some sort of permanent crop. Um, <clears throat> you know, it's an annual crop and um, you give it a shot if it works great. Uh, if not, there's there's a lot lots of stuff you can do the following year with with the infrastructure you've already put in. Awesome. Well, I really appreciate you both joining us today. And before we let you go, we'll just a few little questions to wrap it up. Um, Stevenson Ranch was probably a really great place to try the tomato business because it's already a diversified operation, and um, it, it just seemed like a really good fit. It, from from my perspective, hopefully I'm, I'm classifying that right, but anything else you guys would like to add? Um, any advice you'd like to give to dairy producers who may be sort of looking at this opportunity? Um, yeah, for sure. It's um, We've been really excited by the opportunity. Uh, it allowed us to learn new things and, and grow as an operation. Um, you know, it wasn't without its um fears at times you know it is when you're farming a cash crop you got to be ready for um a lot of different things uh potential hand labor um you know we know that we knew going into it we can grow corn for you know less than a thousand bucks an acre um but we knew going into this it's it's going to be at least three times that yeah um so you definitely you need to be ready for it. It's a little bit of a, a change from what we're used to doing. Um, but for us, it was it was an exciting change and, and something new. Um, and, and we've been really happy that that we decided to do something like this. Well, it's, it sounds like a great opportunity, at least for dairy producers and other folks to look at, especially this year and next year. Um, Giovanni, if you could tell us a little bit about how, if a producer's, this podcast piques their interest, how should they engage with Morningstar or what should their next steps be? Obviously, the 2022 crop is in the ground, but there's still some opportunities for next year. Yeah, so we have a whole uh, field team, um, well, actually two field teams, one based out of our Williams plant and then another one based out of our uh, Los Banos facilities. We source um tomatoes up and down the valley from kern county all the way uh all the way up to uh glen and i think this year we even went uh 
um, a little bit north of Glen County to find a few tomatoes. So we're, we're up and down the entire Central Valley. Uh, we've got, um, I can I can give, I don't know what the best way, Melissa, maybe if I yeah, we'll, read we'll definitely my share email a contact. or if you can post my email and phone yeah. number. <laughs> we'll share a contact in the show notes for sure. And I would say also producers can reach out to Darby or I, their field reps at Western United, and we can connect you with Giovanni's team. Um, but but just asking the question is probably the best place to start, it sounds like. Absolutely. And, and, and you know, that apprehension that, you know, hey, this is brand new. It's a, there's, there's some capital. It's a little more capital intensive than maybe uh, traditional forage crops. Um, a little bit different pest pressures, a little different hand labor pressures uh, per what Sean was talking about. But we've uh, we want to we've got ways um, to deal with all of those uh, concerns and apprehensions. We've got uh, we've got an agronomist on staff. We've got um, different joint ventures that we can design to help whoever gets into this. We want to be successful. We, we right. you know nobody wants to be set up for failure. So we've got. Um, you know, we, we would do a thorough analysis of the of the water availability, the soil adaptability for tomatoes, um, walk through, you know, all of the different financing options for the drip irrigation. Um, again, we have a, a, an agronomist. We do a lot of research in terms of uh, fertigation and, and how to really drive the most out of that. We've got a, an in-house uh, irrigation monitoring program that does a really fantastic job to really set growers up to be successful at, at this transition. Well, I really appreciate you both being here. If I'm a dairy producer listening to this podcast. What I take away is this is a great opportunity, if nothing else, to learn about a different crop, but also to maybe have some cash flow on the dairy. There's flexibility built into it. There's someone there to hold your hand. You're not in it on your own trying to figure it all out. And it seems like a really good opportunity. So producers who are interested up and down the Central Valley, please reach out to Darby or I, and we will connect you with the Morningstar Company. Um, and just thanks so much to both you, Giovanni and Sean for um, joining us today and giving us info. I'm, I'm learning a lot and I'm, I'm looking forward to the season where we follow tomato trucks up and down I-5. I always know summer's here when we get to follow those guys on the highway. Thank you both. Yeah, thank you, Melissa. Care. Did you know that you can turn your dairy manure into cash? Bennett Environmental is offering above ground dairy digesters at no cost to you. These systems can also remove nitrates from your lagoons to help you comply with waterboard regulations. Our proven above ground technology will generate income for your dairy into the foreseeable future. Because we truck the renewable natural gas off site, your dairy can profit regardless of your location. Bennett Environmental, turning your wastewater liabilities into sustainable assets. Learn more at bennett-environmental.com. Thanks again for joining us for this week's episode of Seen and Heard. We'd really love your feedback. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite listening platform. And if you have content requests, questions, or comments, please email mlema at wudairies.com or D-A-R-B-Y at wudairies.com. We've included Morningstar's contact information in the show notes, so you could reach out to them directly if you'd like to engage with their services. We really thank 
Giovanni Cavalletto, Sean Kelly, and Kathleen Wolfley for helping make today's episode possible, and we hope everyone has a great week. While West United Dairies respects the varied views of our podcast guests, please know that views expressed on Seen and Heard may not necessarily reflect the positions of the West United Dairies Board of Directors. Thank you to Western United Dairies generous business sponsors, Gar Bennett, California Dairy Magazine, Farm Credit Alliance, FNR Ag Services, Moss Energy Works, Bennett Environmental, PG&E, and Yosemite Farm Credit. We appreciate our sponsors and thank them for their continued support. If you'd like more information on how to sponsor Western United Dairies or this podcast, please send us an email at info at wudairies.com. That's info at wudairies.com. Thank you.